Coming up in this podcast, BGC, West Farmers, National Lifestyle Villages, Lithium Valley, Blockchain, and our special report is Information and Communications Technology. Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business News, with Mark Panel and Mark Beyer discussing the important business news and data stories from Western Australia. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Mark, a huge week for news in Western Australia. Uh, first and foremost, the owners of one of the nation's biggest private companies have put the company up for sale. It's BGC, of course. Yes, that was a very interesting afternoon on Thursday when Sam Buckeridge fronted the media, something that I don't think he's ever done before in his life, um, with a very momentous announcement that the heirs to um, his late father, Len Buckeridge, had decided it was time to, to effectively sell and potentially break up the business. So yeah, this is a business that, that Len built up over 50 odd years. He was a, an architect turned builder, turned property developer, um, an enormous turn business. Turn <laughs> construction magnate. magnate. Yes. <laughs> um, so you know, turnover in excess of two billion, um, about 4,000 employees, so a very large business. Um, home building, um, manufacturing, uh, transport, um, contracting, uh, construction of big projects around town. So, you know, a very significant part of business in Western Australia. Ever since Len Buckridge passed away, which was about four years ago, there's been a lot of speculation about the future of the group. Uh, in fact, one of the points that Sam made when he spoke to the media was that his dad, to the day he died, was the guy that made all the decisions. Yeah. And so he never really set up anybody else to run the business. You know, Sam had some um, experience in there. Um, and then his um, uh, Julian Ambrose, who's... Step-brother, yeah. Learned, yes. Um, he was also heavily involved in an executive role. Um, but the ownership of the business was carved up amongst five different trusts. I mean, there were six children, eight grandchildren... And Sam said, look, it's the structure that was put in place just wasn't working. It yeah. was unwieldy. Messy, I think would be a good word. Messy, yes. So, um, you know, after several years, and I imagine a lot of anguish inside the family, um, they've decided, look, let's just move on, um, effectively put the business up for sale. Yeah. And um, there's, there's no rush. Um, you know, it's all, uh, as far as we're aware, a very strong, very sound business. Um, so there's no urgency in this, and, and Sam made the point. It's, it's business as usual from an operational perspective. Um, but there'll be a lot of interest, and uh, and the various parts of the family, they'll effectively be able to cash out and go their separate ways. Yeah, which is obviously needed. I mean, I guess it's that uh, there's a whole lot of threads to this that are quite interesting. First of all, you know, this is not the first um, estate to have this kind of dramatic uh, legal drama around it from the heirs. It just shows how difficult it is for someone, who, you know, especially these entrepreneurial types of guys to set things up for their own, you know, for after their own life. Um, big challenge there. And I guess the, the other element I look at here is that while Sam says, yeah, it's business as usual, the, a fight between the heirs, especially it gets out public because it's so, so much money, is a huge distraction, massive distraction. And I guess people then more focused on the performance of the company as a result. You've got a whole bunch of people whose interest is 
much more directly affected. That puts a lot of pressure on, uh, on people like him running the business. I suspect you're better off being distracted with a sale process uh, rather than uh, a legal fight over who owns what. Mm. Um, with all those internal machinations and, ex- and executive loyalties that went back to Len and may be divided between the different heirs and a bunch of challenges there. And, and just on that whole succession issue, I think a lot of people on the outside look at these situations and say, you know, surely they could have put in place a structure sort of for a more orderly handover. And yet it's the nature of people like Len Buckridge who created this business empire from nothing. Mm. He was a very strong individual and you know, that was one of his that was one reason why he was so successful in building the business. Yeah. They're not the kind of people that hand over and then go and lie on a beach somewhere. No. <laughs> you know, it's in their blood, it's, it's their passion, it's their baby, it's something that they want to keep control of. And yet, you know, you could look at it and go, it is at that scale that it, he could easily. I mean, it's all very easy to say this in, 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 in retrospect, but, you know, he could easily have set up a, a bigger, more normal company. But I can't, I can't imagine Len sitting there as chairman of a, of a company being run by salaried executives. Um, and being happy either, so mm. you know, funny one. So, so c- come on, Mark. Who who could buy this business, or is it buy bits of this business? So, what are the what are the possibilities here? Well, look, I think there's going to be a, a very long list of people that will have an interest in it. Um, I think the the most logical outcome would be to say it will be broken up into mm. various parts. So there are some bits that would be a relatively easy carve out. So there's a, a contracting business, which is already run with a fair degree of autonomy. Yep. Um, so that does mining and civil contracting. They've got some big contracts on the East Coast with coal mines, they do iron ore mines, a lot of civil work. So that would be a very easy acquisition for some of the other players already in that industry. Um, similarly, there's a, a very substantial construction business. Um, you know, BGC built Perth Arena. That's probably their, their best known um, construction job. But they've got about five big projects on the go at the moment, big apartment towers. Um, they've just finished building the Western Hotel in the city. Um, and they've got, I think it's about $800 million worth of work mm. on their books. So that would be a very nice and I think relatively easy sort of add-on for an existing construction business or somebody that wants to establish a presence here. Yeah. Um, on the home building front, I mean, one intriguing possibility, um, Kelvin Ryan actually ran BGC's home building business for, I think, a better part of a decade. Now, he's recently joined a company in Melbourne called Simons Group. It's listed on the stock market. Um, it's a home building company. They did about 2,500 houses last year, which, by coincidence, is a similar number to what BGC did last year. And they did that on the East Coast, obviously. That's right. Yep. yep. And now, they'd pr- Simons Group previously had made uh, had shown some interest in making an acquisition in mm. Western Australia, albeit something a lot smaller. Um, was that that Gemmel? was Gemmel Homes. Yeah, yeah. That was you know, announced to the ASX, but didn't go through. So, you know, that you have to think that's a possibility. It would certainly be of interest to them. They would be the kind of group that would have a look. And then on the the manufacturing side, so, you know, BGC makes their own bricks, their own cement, their own plasterboard, all those building materials, windows. windows. So their two big competitors in this market is Borrell, which bought the old Midland brick business, and Brickworks, two listed companies. And they've both been squeezed really badly 
by the combination of a downturn in housing starts in WA and then the entry of the BGC business, Brickmakers. I mean, that was created only in 2010. So margins have been terrible in WA and both Borrell and Brickworks have been losing money here. So there would be a lot of interest on their part in taking out what's effectively been their uh, a very difficult competitor for them. Be interesting to see how the ACCC views that. That would be another factor in that one as well. Yes, <laughs> you know, there'd be a lot of builders saying, "Hang on." Yeah, I mean, I guess the the really interesting part of this is the, is the vertical integration of of the BGC housing, uh, residential housing and construction business with the uh, manufacturing. So the fact that, as you say, they've got bricks, cement, windows, a whole bunch of things. It's a quite a unique model. Um, they're already at the moment. Um, well, how do I say this? Previously, everything's been branded BGC, but they're actually trying to expand their uh, themselves out beyond just servicing their own um, their own divisions. They do sell to others, but no one really likes a BGC truck rolling up with with equipment and supplies and materials to another builder's um, uh, site. So they're kind of rebranding a lot and, and drifting a bit away from BGC. And I mean, that's just a small part of whatever strategy is going on that presumably Sam's put in place. It is interesting to see whether whether that vertical integration is worth more than perhaps splitting that up. Hard to tell, um, you know, but I guess it's a vertical integration here in WA, but not so much a national one. So yeah, intriguing. Well, we'll watch and see how it unfolds. Now, um, Mark, and just when we thought that was the big news for the week, <laughs> uh, West Farmers announced, uh, well, basically, uh, it's it's given up in the UK. They've pulled the pin. That's right. With Bunnings, sorry. Yeah, That's I should right, say that. with Bunnings. <laughs> so, yeah, this was, I mean, it was a bit over two years ago. In February 2016, they announced that they were buying a business in the UK called Homebase. Spent 700-odd million dollars buying it. But the plan was to effectively extend the Bunnings model, which has been outstandingly successful for them in Australia, and take that to the UK. And so this was a big move for West Farmers. It was a, you know, a major move outside of their Australian market. But we all thought, well, these are smart people. They've done their homework. They would have looked very closely at it. Um, they would have it, looked at the experience of other Australian companies and their failure in various industries in both the UK and America, correct? They would have done all of that. <laughs> uh, sadly, though, it just didn't work out. They discovered that the UK market really is very different from the Australian market. Yeah. And the model that they sought to export uh, just wasn't working over there. So they announced um, early this year they were writing off close to a billion dollars from their total investment. And then today they've come out and said um, they're selling the entire business to a group called Hillco Capital, mm-hmm. um, which is effectively an investment group that picks up distressed assets um, for a nominal sum. So effectively they're, they're handing it over, giving it away, Gee. and acknowledging that there'll be another write-down up to about $400 million. So collectively, the whole experience has cost them at least $1.3 billion. So a very expensive lesson. Mm. Interestingly, though, Rob Scott, the, the current chief executive of West Farmers, and of course he's, he's the new guy who was not responsible for this, one of the points he emphasised was 
you know, he wants the people at West Farmers to keep on looking for opportunities. They don't want them to go into their shell and become a, a dull conservative business. They want to keep on trying new things. Sadly, this one didn't work at all. Um, good luck to them on future endeavours. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I guess there's that other element too that, um, you know, the driver of that deal was John Gillam, and uh, who was head of Bunnings at the time. And then John kind of missed out on the... the, the um, the, the the race to be CEO so in a sense I, I do wonder uh, and sorry and then he subsequently left the business and, and I wonder how much West Farmers lost momentum in the UK without that that you know driving force of one guy who it was his deal and his mission and and as soon as that evaporated I wonder whether they just lost their mojo on that one um, but, you know, it was only, what, six months ago they were saying they weren't sure and there was still an opportunity there. And so I think they really realised a long time ago that this wasn't a good deal for them. But they mm. were still, you know, trying to work out how they were going to um, bring that to the market. Uh, now, Mark, you had a bit of breaking news around National Lifestyle Villages, which has been acquired by an interstate investor. Yeah, so... This is a, a business that was born in Western Australia, I think, almost 20 years ago. Uh, so they build these you know, lifestyle villages for the over 45s. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not a retirement home. <laughs> it's for the people that want to sell up the suburban house, move into something more affordable, um, but still have an active lifestyle. Yeah, okay. And this is you and me, mate. You understand <laughs> <laughs> and then do their uh, three months up at Broome with the caravan and lock <laughs> right. up their little uh, place down here. Ah, uh, gotcha. But, um, I mean, look, it's, it's a significant business. They've got uh, 10 of these villages around the southwest of WA, mostly around Perth, uh, about 3,000 residents in them. Uh, John Wood was the founder of the business. Uh, but John took on equity from some other groups. Um, a group out of Malaysia called Navis um, took a big stake in the business some years ago. And then he did a funding deal with another private equity group called Blackstone. So that worked for a while. But it's a, an interesting case study, I guess, about how when you take on an external shareholder like that, um, your interests might be perfectly aligned on day one, mm. but they don't always necessarily stay aligned. Um, now, this was interesting because another person in Perth, Kelvin Flynn, who runs Serona Capital, um, Kelvin quietly moved into the chief executive job at National Lifestyle Villages last October. Mm-hmm. He's subsequently been running a review, and clearly the folks at Navis and Blackstone decided they'd had enough. It wasn't working for them. Um, so they sold it to um, an investor out of Sydney, a guy named Rob Nichols. He'd previously run some of his own lifestyle villages on the East Coast. He's got backing out of a big investment group out of Singapore. Yeah. So you know, the business will sort of tick over. John Wood will continue there in a sales and marketing role. Um, but it's you know, a significant um, transaction, you know, very large business. Do we and have any idea of the no, scale of it? No. No dollar figures on the transaction. Yeah. Uh, but just looking at the scale of the developments that they've got. But I think also, too, interesting looking at you know the businesses that are owned by private equity. There's quite a few that have recently changed hands. So, you know, Alinta Energy, um, Barminko, very big mining contractor, uh, Brown's Dairy, Horton Winery, uh, Dome Coffees. You know, a lot of these are household brands. Mm. People may not realise that these big 
mostly international private equity groups are the ones that sit behind them and actually own the business. Yeah. And someone's cashed out along the way too. It's always yeah. a good thing. <laughs> um, now, Mark, uh, well, I, I, th- this week, executives from Tesla are in town. I actually went to an event where they, a couple of different Tesla executives spoke. Um, and this is all fueling speculation around this concept of uh, Lithium Valley, uh, which I, I guess has been developed in, in Perth, well, specifically in Perth's heavy industrial heartland of Quinana. I mean, there's various other um, uh, developments going on close by to Perth, but uh, give us a sort of lowdown. What's, what's new this week around all that? Yeah, so there's a, a report that's come out specifically on that topic of, you know, lithium valley. So it's the idea of Silicon Valley is the hub for the tech industry. Well, we should create our own lithium valley so that we've got lots of mines being developed around Western Australia mm-hmm. to mine the lithium which of course feeds into the batteries, which go into the electric cars, which the people like Tesla and and pretty much every other automotive manufacturer around the world is either manufacturing now or planning to introduce to the market. So yeah, the boom sector. um, And we want to capture that opportunity. So instead of putting the ore into a ship and sending it somewhere else for all the value adding, we want to do that here. Now, there's already some moves on this front. Um, Tianchi Lithium is spending, I think, close to a billion dollars building a refinery down at Quinana. There's two other groups that are looking at building similar refineries. So that's um, taking the ore and, and, and processing it to, a, an, if you like, an intermediate level. But, you know, the right. big opportunity... Like bauxite to um, alumina. That's right. Yep. And then, okay, then the question is, well, can we go the next step? Can we actually make the batteries here? Yeah. And we've got all the raw materials, the lithium, the cobalt, the nickel, and all the other things that go into it. Um, Here's a big opportunity for Western Australia. Um, So a lot of the the mining groups and industry groups have been doing studies. Um, The state government has just announced they're setting up a task force. And as you say, people from Tesla are in town meeting with the Premier. So a lot of interest mm. and, um, yeah, a big opportunity for Western Australia to seize in an area where historically we've not done very well at all. No, well, look, I, I guess that's, you know, so the cynic in me goes, oh, yeah, we've heard all this before. And also, you know, dare I say this, but, you know, we've tried, we and many other parts of the world try and set up hubs for all sorts of things. Um, and I've got a view that most of the hubs that are, artificially set up are, are you know never never get anywhere it's it's you know silicon valley wasn't wasn't um artificially created it, it just happened i think um having said that we're the world's biggest lithium producer right here right now we've got the world's biggest lithium mine and a whole bunch of other things that put us i think we're doing 50 percent of the global lithium production if i've got that right so so conditions here are right in that sense we've got it secondly uh from everything I can understand and, and, and learn from this, manufacturing lithium uh, batteries is not a highly labour intensive um, manufacturing uh, production. So um, that's a bit of a plus for us because normally it's labour costs that are our problem at that next level of value add. And I guess there's a third element in here which, um, you know, there's a great desire by the state government to shift the port down from Fremantle to Coburn, which is obviously right where Quinana is, where all this is happening, and to be able to have a large industry like lithium take off and go there, 
would be helpful to that. So I do think there are some factors that my cynicism is slightly tempered. (laughs) But again, like a lot of things, and I think I say this quite often on this podcast, let's wait and see. Now, Mark, uh, we had a report on a series of innovation um, blockchain startups in Perth, something quite different. Yeah, so Matt McKenzie has pulled together a very interesting article, and it's attracted quite a lot of interest from readers. And so it's in the current edition of Business News out on the street. It's a fascinating read to see how many different, you might say, weird and wonderful things are evolving from blockchain. I think a lot of us originally thought of it as just this speculative uh, bubble, Um, but underpinning um, the the cryptocurrencies that people can invest in and trade in is the blockchain technology which can be applied in many different ways. And so, you know, I'd encourage people to have a read to get a good sense of just what is possible. So some of the examples that Matt talks about is a company called Powerledger. So they've done an initial coin offering which is becoming, people will hear that term a lot more in future. ICO, yes. (laughs) So it's all about um, issuing tokens that people can use to trade um, surplus power from the solar panels on their roof. Um, There's another group called Bitcar. Uh, They're doing a coin offering. The tokens there will be used to attain partial ownership of luxury cars. Um, There's another group that's raising money um, to create a platform where people will be able to share data that's captured by drones. So, you know, very different industry sectors. Um, Lateral is a a well-established sort of IT digital consulting business in Perth, uh, run by a guy guy named Tommy Shin, who was actually a 40 under 40 winner a few years ago. Uh, They're involved in a lot of these ventures. He's sort of at the forefront of it, and we've spoken to Tommy at some length. So I guess just... I'm giving people just a little bit of a teaser here Mm. just to say, wow, there's lots of stuff, lots of real businesses that people are looking to establish off the back of this blockchain technology. And I guess the key here, you know, I'm no expert in blockchain, but my understanding is it just gives you a bit of security across a digital transaction. It gives you some security that 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 transaction is 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 private. It it can't be you know, shared or cracked or whatever. It's kind of like ownership or uh, the old wax seal or something from if we go back centuries. Is that is that right? That's, that's a, a fair summation of it. And and they require a lot of computing power to mm. do all the processing that sits behind these things. Yes. Um, so it's often, um, you know, there are, there are big data centres and lots of computer crunching that sits happens in the background. And look, Mark, without wanting to go off-piste with this, that is another fascinating discussion around cybersecurity because a lot of the hacking and and uh, cyber is- cybersecurity issues that are coming up is simply um, people who want to do uh, Bitcoin mining or that kind of thing using cr- cracking someone else's servers and using that power. You know, so basically you're subsidising their search. Um, and interesting, I think a lot of quantum physics is trying to get that next level where you won't need so much power to do these um, calculations that are required, and that's where a lot of that's heading. So so we might see a future where, at the moment, blockchain is expensive and becomes problematic, but the future might be a lot easier with, with new types of computing. Um, now, our special report this week is on information and communications technology. 
What's the latest on this important sector? So I've taken a slightly different approach here. My focus was around what's relevant for sort of small to mid-sized businesses, not, not the big end of town. And I found myself speaking to some people that are a bit, if you like, outside the mainstream. And the theme that's come up is convergence. Now, it's not a new term, but it's, it's very relevant still to what's happening. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea that traditional IT is sort of blending in with traditional sort of telecommunications sort of technology and infrastructure, which is blending in with uh, digital um, technologies and social media. And there's this sort of this blurring and almost a continuum there. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, I've spoken to a, a big marketing agency in Perth. They've been to an event with Google recently and looked at some of the um, amazing developments there, particularly around voice technology. So people are seeing more or hearing more about Google Home and the idea that a robot um, can actually ring somebody and have a conversation with somebody at the end of of a telephone. You know, this technology is moving so fast so it's a bit out there at the moment, but it's just rapidly becoming, I think, or rapidly will become mainstream. So we're talking about some of those things like that. I've also had a talk to Telstra because traditionally we thought of they built the network and then there's all sort of the, the IT equipment sits at the end of the line. And yet with the move towards cloud computing, there's this, this convergence between the network and the applications that mm. people are using. And you can't really look at one without the other. And then to sort of bring it down to, I guess, a a real level as well, there's a couple of guys in Perth who set up a business called IQ7. It's all around website management. And they're two experienced people in the field. They get really frustrated that a lot of small businesses, a lot of their clients, small to mid-sized businesses, get distracted by these latest trends. So while we need to be aware of all these things and all the latest and greatest in social media, they're saying, well, hang on, your website, what about just the basics of running and managing and curating a good website? Mm. So they set up a business called IQ7, which effectively is a way of helping people understand what they need to do without actually selling a product. So I'm drawing together quite a few strands there, but you know, this is the world we live in. The, The technology moves so fast, things keep on changing. So hopefully just by pulling together all of that, I'll give the readers a bit of a sense of you know, what they should be looking at, thinking about, and, and some of the opportunities that might be out there for them. And Mark, I don't know if you can answer this question, but I'll chuck it at you anyway. I, I, I get the feeling there's almost two ways things could go, that we kind of get to that VHS versus beta thing where there are sort of one-size-fits-all kind of solutions, you know, that Google becomes the one thing and everything's got to work with Google, otherwise it won't work. Or we go the complete opposite, where we get systems that can deal with everything and with just a few kind of, um, whatever you call that, not necessarily regulatory things, but where where some simple things like Wi-Fi works for everything, some very simple um, Uh, language, I suppose, allows multiple different versions of things to work across platforms. Do you have any inkling as to which way we're heading? Um, That's a tough question. My my only comment would be that we look at the likes of Google and Facebook now, um, we get the sense that they're ubiquitous and that they're sort of taking over the world. 
And yet, if I think back, you know, over past years, there were other businesses and other brands that we thought were dominating the world. Mm-hmm. And then the technology... VHS being one of them. Yes, well... <laughs> um, or even, you know, we don't hear so much, you know, IBM, if we go back far enough in the sure. computing world, even Microsoft. Yeah. Um, and yet technology changes so rapidly, new things come along that we don't know about now. Yeah. So I, I get a sense that um, whatever we think is dominating now probably won't be dominating in five, ten years' time. No, I get you. And, you know, I, I can't help say you mentioned Telstra in that commentary there, and I'm looking at the market at the moment, and... And Telstra has had a terrible time. I mean, it's really hitting some lows. And uh, these days, I can't even recall what it represents in terms of share market share, you know, market capitalization of the overall market. But I remember it wasn't that long ago, 20 years ago, it it literally represented 20, 30 percent of the market. It was a huge monster on the ASX. And now it's kind of like just, oh, yeah, another stock Um, and one that's not doing that well. So you're right. Things do change. Now, thanks, Mark. Our Rising Stars event is a long-running awards program to find high-growth companies. This year, we have a record number of entries, so why not come along to our gala night on June 27 and discover who is amongst this important group? Have a look on our website for tickets and information. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Powell and Mark Beyer from Business News. For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts And to receive these regularly, search for Business News WA in iTunes or SoundCloud.